Today, we're in a series around this initiative that we call Light It Up, and uh, this series is called An Invitation to a More Generous Life, and I want to say a sincere thanks to our friend Derry Long, who launched this series so well last week, and way to go, Derry. And Light It Up is all about the families across the life of this community called Journey Church considering an above and beyond financial gift to the Lord over the course of the next two years for the purpose of us building that phase one of our ministry campus and community center. We have a goal of $2 million over the course of the next two years. And next weekend is Commitment Weekend where all of us who consider Journey to be our home will have a chance to lay down a commitment card with our pledge to this project recorded on it, kind of a stake in the ground, lay down our marker kind of a thing. And you have those brochures like Oakland said at the start of the service on those seats. Lots of information about the project in those. As well, you should have received a letter from me uh, in the mail this week with a commitment card for you and your family inside of it. If you didn't get that letter, we're sorry. It's probably our bad. You might use that uh, card that's in the chair pocket in front of you and we'll correct our database with your address information and so on. If you didn't get one of those, there's some available out in the lobby on the information table. I'd ask you to scoop one of those up on your way out if you would. And in the Bible, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29... When there was a project like this, similar to the one that we're undertaking, uh, that the church was embarking upon, there was always a set of leaders in the Bible who were the first to give, a set of leaders who led the way toward the success of this construction project. And so over the past few weeks across the life of Journey Church, we have invited some leaders from across the life of our body to do that very thing. We invited a set of leaders to lead out in the giving to this project. And so far, those leaders, there was 21 families who made these advanced commitments. Those 21 families so far have committed $375,000 toward our goal of $2 million, this lighted up goal. And I just want to say, like, way to go to those families. And we're not there yet, right? I invite the rest of us who make up the Journey Church family to be challenged and to be encouraged to find your own family's place of faith and courage in this project by the example of those lead 21 families. Let them inspire you to your own place of faith and trust and commitment as we, the rest of us, lay down our commitment cards next weekend. If you have a Bible with you today, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to hang out in Luke chapter 16 for the rest of our time. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the side screens. The text will be there for you. We're going to camp out here. And just because it's kind of been a slack week coming back into the country and so on, I thought I'd go ahead and unpack what Jesus has to say to us about money and our use of money through the lens of what most biblical commentators uh, typically refer to as one of the most difficult and perplexing parables in all of the Bible. So, are you up for a challenge? Buckle in. Here we go. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus told this story, this parable, to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Not a good report, is it? So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. It's like a pre-firing meeting that the employer has with his employee, right? It's like a pre-firing. They say that firing someone should never be a surprise. And so this boss is taking that to heart. I'm giving you a warning. You will be fired. And so the manager, he goes back and he thought to himself, now what? My boss is 
fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. Ah, he says, I know how I will ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil, by the way, 800 gallons. That's a lot. You could swim in 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Just cut it in half. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill, change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire, watch this, the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Anyone ever been referred to as a dishonest rascal? And it is true, Jesus says, that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to underline this verse. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. It's in this parable that we see Jesus take a rather straight talk approach, right, about money. And more specifically, he zeroes right in on the Christ followers on our wise use of money. And I want to show you through the lens of this text how Jesus says we can be smart and we can be shrewd in using the money that God has entrusted to us in ways that will be honored by God, in ways that will be honoring to God, and actually in ways that will be of ultimate benefit to us. And this is incredibly relevant stuff because every one of us sitting in this room, we all use money, right? We use money every single day. And it seems wise and it seems prudent that we would know how Jesus instructs us to use that money wisely in his opinion. Now let me set this parable up for you just a bit. In New Testament times, much like today, extremely wealthy people would hire managers or stewards to oversee all of their financial affairs. These managers would do things for them like keep the books, approve of all their expenditures, pay the employees, and track all of the loans. In this parable, this particular manager has been caught wasting the owner's possessions, and so he is told that he should get his books in order because he's about to be canned. Now, this word wasting, the Hebrew word translated as wasting, is the precise same word that's used in the story of the prodigal son to describe the prodigal son's selfish indulgence when he squandered his wealth, as the text calls it. This goes ahead and lets us know that the manager, he wasn't just guilty of making some bad investments. He just didn't buy Wamu stock, right? That's not his crime here. Rather, he had misappropriated, probably intentionally, the owner's funds and spent them inappropriately on himself. He was in charge of the owner's money. 
but he had used it to indulge himself rather than to further his master's purposes. See, now this manager, he's a smart guy, right? He realizes all of a sudden that his world is crumbling down on top of him. He is in a heap of trouble because he's not going to be able to get another job managing anyone else's money. Word's gonna get out. This guy is not to be trusted. He's blacklisted probably from the financial management field and so he sets about weighing his option. He looks across his life and he realizes he's much too old and he's much too weak for manual labor. He's been a paper pusher for far too long so he can't do manual labor. He's far too proud to beg, not to mention that begging is not too lucrative of a field. And so he's in this great dilemma, isn't he? How are his needs going to be met in the future? And so he very prudently, shrewdly, sets out to ensure his future well-being. He crafts a plan. And it's brilliant, really, when you look at it. He decides to use his final opportunity as the owner's financial manager to help others by reducing the debts they owed to the owner so that they would then return the favor to him when he was in need. As a result of his using the owner's money to help others, he rightfully expects, as the text says, his friends will give me a home. When he's out on his ear, his friends, his newly made friends, will give him a home. Now, if you've read very many parables in the Bible, looked at very many of them that Jesus told, you'll notice that most of them have something woven into the story that's either shocking or unexpected. We'd call it a twist of sorts. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, the twist is that this despised Samaritan man would be the one, the only one, who would show love to his neighbor. In the story of the prodigal son, the twist is that the son's father, who the son completely alienates by his poor behavior, that that father would actually lovingly welcome home his rebellious son like at a drop of a hat. And the text we're talking about today, this parable of the shrewd manager, as it's headlined in my text, It also has a twist that's unexpected and quite surprising even. In verse eight, Jesus says that when the owner found out what the dishonest manager had done, the Bible says the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And what seems to us so twisted about this whole text is that on the very surface of things, it would appear that Jesus praises a dishonest rascal, right? Praises his dishonesty, perhaps even. Now, remember, it's Jesus telling this story. He could have chosen to say anything he wanted to about that financial manager. He could have criticized him for his dishonesty, but instead, he praises him. But when you peer back the text, just a layer, and you look a little more carefully at the story, it isn't exactly the manager's dishonesty that is praised by Jesus but rather it's his shrewdness, see? It's his prudency and it's his wisdom in planning ahead for his own future well-being. That's what Jesus is propping up. Good job, Jesus says, planning ahead for your future well-being. And after telling the parable, Jesus exhorts his disciple. What's an exhortation? Think about it like a loving kick in the butt. That's what an exhortation is. He exhorts his disciples lovingly, And he calls them children of light. And he says, children of light, you who follow Jesus, that's who we are. We are children of light. He instructs us to be just as shrewd and just as wise in using money for eternal benefits as the children of the world are in using money for right here, right now 
benefits, temporal benefits. Now get this, this is the key, this is the crux of this text. We who follow Jesus Christ, we are instructed to leverage the money we have right here and right now wisely in a way that honors God and in ways that actually benefit us. Now when I use the word benefit, it isn't just about bringing us earthly pleasure, see. I'm talking about leveraging the money that God has entrusted to our care and into our management for an eternal kind of benefit. That's what Jesus is speaking to in this parable. It raises a great question, how do you do that? How do you do that? Just two principles, two points today for using money wisely according to Jesus in ways that honor God and benefit us first. This is the first one. Using money wisely starts with our recognition that we are merely the managers of and not the owners of money. We are merely the managers of and not the owners of money. I know Derry spent some time on this last week, but it's important to revisit this. Jesus emphasizes this point in the text that we are managers, not owners, by highlighting that the primary character that we are to learn from is a manager. He is not the true owner of the money. Jesus reemphasizes the point in verse 12 when he talks about us handling someone else's property. The true owner of everything is God. All that we have is sourced in God himself. Everything. Now you know what this thing is right here, it's a fire hydrant, right? Unless you've been living on another planet for the last couple hundred years, you would know that that is a fire hydrant, right? And you might remember back uh, a few weeks, we spent some time on that message run that we called Vital Signs. And we had all those street signs up here on the stage, right? Remember that? Lots of street signs that illustrated the point of that week's message. I just gotta tell you, just so you know, that street signs are very easy to steal. They, they just are. Like, where do you think we got all those street signs? Just a couple, couple of bolts, and you got yourself a street sign. They're like a dime a dozen, real easy to get your hands on those. But have you ever tried to steal one of these? Have you ever tried to steal a fire hydrant? That is, it's like serious work to get that thing out of the ground. I'm kidding, by the way, about the theft of anything. I'm totally kidding. Nobody stole any signs. Nobody stole that. The proper authorities, as a matter of fact, loaned them. To us. Stealing is wrong. Don't do it. Okay? <laughs> and you know how one of these works. When a fire breaks out at a structure, any kind, whether it be a house, a business, a school, whatever, the firefighters, they roll up on the scene in their cool fire trucks and they hook their hoses up to one of these. Why? As what? What is that? It is the source, isn't it, of all of the water that will extinguish that fire, right? Well, get this. Just as a fire hydrant is the source of all the water that extinguishes fires, so too is God the source of every single dollar that hits our checkbooks, that hits our retirement accounts, that hits our paychecks, that hits our wallets, that hits our purses. He is the source. And that then means that what we have is his. It is not ours. It's God's. Everything we have is God's, and it is merely on loan to us. We are merely his managers, see. And when you think about a fire hydrant, you think about the truth that the water that's sourced in that fire hydrant is very carefully managed, isn't it? We don't just use fire hydrants like willy-nilly. We're not watering grass with fire hydrants, right? 
The water that comes from a fire hydrant is a precious commodity and it has an express purpose, doesn't it? It's the exact same thing with the money that God entrusts to our care and to our management. It is a precious commodity for an express purpose, see? And that truth is very difficult for us to live out, me included. Easier said than done. And lots of Christ followers, we wrestle with this principle of us being managers, not owners of money. And our thinking very often goes something like this. I can speak to this because I do this. We think, all right, that percentage of my income, my percentage of my increase that I drop into that offering bag whenever I do that, that's God's, right? This money that I give to the Lord via my church in these blue offering bags, that's God's. And the rest of it, whatever I didn't give to God, well, it's mine, free for me to use as I see fit. But it's parables like the one we're camping out in today and other places in the text that Jesus instructs us that that's not exactly the case. Rather, 100% of the stuff, whether it's money, whether it's possessions in storage units and garages and on shelves, it all belongs to God and it's all a precious commodity intended for an express purpose. We are on the hook. We are responsible for how we use all 100% of the money that God entrusts to our management. We will give an account someday for how we use the money that God has entrusted to our care. And that is not an easy switch to make in our brains and in our hearts. To go from thinking of ourselves as owners to correctly thinking of ourselves as merely managers. It is a difficult leap. I have a friend who very graciously lets us use his lake house that he has up at Canyon Ferry. It's a fantastic place. Comes with about a 24-foot ski boat on a lift next to the dock. Everything about the place is spectacular. We took our staff up there early in September for a couple of days off-site, and it was uh, sort of the middle of September, but I said, doggone it, some of you are going to ride on this tube behind this boat, and I took great pleasure in dumping a couple of them off that tube into the frigid waters of Canyon Ferry. I've taken my family up there. It's a fantastic place, but when I'm there, I am incredibly careful with the whole deal. Why? Because it's not mine. It's a borrowed house, and it's a borrowed boat, and I'm going to take very good care of the place, aren't I? I, I'm actually probably somewhat difficult to get along with as I'm trying to herd my children to be good and not break things and not spill things and not wreck the guy's house, right? Sort of anal and uptight, something. I'm going to work incredibly hard to keep it clean and leave it clean because it doesn't belong to me, and I'm on the hook aren't I? I'm accountable for how I use that place. I'm not just going to ram the boat under the lift next to the dock because I don't want to break my friend's stuff. It's not mine. It's his. And it's that exact same principle that's helped Dana and I think rightly about the money that God has entrusted to our care and to our management. It's not ours. It is on loan to me from God. And God, who is the owner of everything I have, has an express purpose for the money that he's given me responsibility for. And when we begin to think about and when we begin to treat our money like we treat something that someone has loaned to us, similar to the way that I think about my friend's boat and his house at the lake, it's then that we will begin to leverage our financial resources for their intended purposes. 
God's intended purposes, not even mine, but God's. It raises the great question. Does that then mean that the Christ follower cannot spend any money on himself or herself? It's a natural question. But the answer is a resounding no way. Because see, a financial management in New Testament times was actually entitled to draw a salary to use some of the master's money to meet his and his family's needs as well as even for some leisurely pursuits for his family. But that was not the manager's first priority. The manager's first priority was furthering the owner's purposes with the owner's money. If the manager were using the money primarily to indulge his wants, his desires, then he was not being a good steward. He was in danger of the consequences that we see in this text, Luke 16, this parable. And so the question then for all of us who are trying to order our lives correctly, the question becomes, am I taking great care of my family and am I furthering the owners, God's purposes with what he has entrusted to my care? Am I taking great care of my family and am I furthering the owner's, God's purposes with what he has entrusted to my care? Am I leveraging it for God's stuff? Using money wisely, first point, starts with the recognition that we are the managers of, we are not the owners of the stuff we have. We are not the owners of the money that we have. And then Jesus continues to teach us through this parable about how we can use the money God has entrusted to our management in ways that will be honored by God, will be honoring to God, and will actually be of ultimate benefit to us. Look at Luke 16, 9. Here's the lesson Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Friends, this is our second and final point today. We're not gonna move off of this for the rest of our time. Jesus instructs that in order for us to use our money wisely, it's us using the money that God has entrusted to our care to, watch this, benefit others and make friends. I love that phrase. To benefit others and make friends. And when you read that phrase, benefit others and make friends, just think about that to mean make a difference in people's lives here on earth. That's what that means. Make a difference in people's lives here on earth. Jesus instructs us to use the money that God has entrusted to our care and management to help people just the way the manager did in this parable. Why? Why? The text answers the question. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Put the whole verse together. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Luke 16, 9. Jesus is saying, wisdom is found in using the money that God has entrusted to our care to benefit others and make friends. That means make a difference in people's lives here on earth. That's the purpose of the money that he has entrusted to our care and to our management. And he says, look, guys, this money deal, it is entirely temporary. It's going away. But the reward for benefiting others and making friends is absolutely eternal. Jesus emphasizes again and again the temporary nature of money. One day, it's just going to be gone, either through our death, either through economic downturns, maybe even just through flat blowing the money that we have. It will be gone. And lots of us in recent weeks and even months have seen of going away of money like we never thought we'd see. 
Maybe the last 401k statement you got had your value up here and the next one you get might have it like somewhere down here, right? Lots of us have felt that and experienced that. It's going away. Therefore, Jesus says, use the money that I've entrusted to your care in such a way that the benefits aren't just here and now, but the benefits are forever. They're everlasting. Money, see, it doesn't have any value in heaven. You can't take it with you, which means that the most wise thing we could do with the money God has entrusted to our care and to our management is to invest it in what will have value in heaven by leveraging the money God has entrusted to us to serve, to be generous, and to help people. On our trip to Ethiopia last week, I had to change U.S. dollars into the Ethiopian currency, which is called Burr, B-I-R-R. It's not a very valuable currency at all. It took about 10 Ethiopian Burr to equal a dollar. And nobody in Ethiopia took U.S. dollars. They only took Burr. They, they hardly even knew what American currency was, most of them. So we paid for meals, and we bought diesel, and we paid our driver all in Burr, the Ethiopian currency. And on our last night there, I was kind of rifling through my wallet and I noticed I had about a a couple of hundred burr left, about 20 bucks or so. And so I elected to give my last burr to our driver as a tip for him taking relatively good care of us on the roadways of (laughs) Ethiopia. I was thinking back just a bit ago uh, to the guy who arranged this driver Uh, He spoke English, and he said, now I've gotten you the very best driver I know of, and uh, he will drive you very slow, and he will take much caution with you. No, he didn't. Like, not even close. My, like, fingernail prints are on the dashboard. It was unbelievable. Wow. But I still tipped him, because he was a very nice guy, and he didn't kill us. So, that's good. I didn't want to bring any burr back into the United States with me, see, because burr is useless here. None of you would take burr from me. I couldn't go to the convenience store and even buy a pack of gum with it. It's useless. It's not accepted here. Burr is not accepted in the United States. It has to be exchanged into an acceptable currency. Now get this. The exact same thing goes in heaven, see. In heaven, there's only one currency that counts, And the currency of heaven is what we've done with our earthly resources to benefit others and make friends see. The only currency that counts in heaven is making a difference in people's lives here on earth. The only opportunity that we have to exchange the money that God's entrusted to our care for the currency of heaven is right here in this life. We get one shot at it. That's it. And this lighted up initiative that we're inviting you to make a financial commitment to next weekend, it's not at all about just making we who sit in this room more comfortable see. This project that we call Lighted Up This Initiative is all about, frankly, us as a community exchanging the currency of this earth, these dollars that God has entrusted to our care for an express purpose, exchanging it for the currency of heaven, which are changed lives. Light It Up is all about us as a community of Christ followers leveraging the very best of the resources that God has asked us to manage to provide a community center whose mission is the very heart of Jesus Christ himself, benefiting others and making friends. 
Light it up, see, is all about service to people who are not sitting in this room. Some of the 65,000 who are walking around our valley, who are walking around our community, wondering if there's more to this life than just working all week at a dead-end job, wondering if anybody even cares about the contribution that they're making to society, wondering if there's more to this life than just earning a paycheck and going home every day. See, that community center becomes a platform for us to actually serve our way into the lives of the people, the 65,000 or so around our valley, who are actually seeking and in need of the hope of the world that we have to offer. But those folks aren't just going to walk into a church building first thing and take in a worship service, are they? I'm convicted that just because we're a church, it doesn't automatically earn us the right for people to show up and sit in these chairs every weekend. Just because we put nice signs up out on the street announcing we're here, it doesn't actually mean that anybody who's far from God even cares about what it is that goes on in here on a weekend. I'm convicted that we have to earn the right to be heard in the lives of people who are living far from God. I think we can talk all we want to about how if people don't have a relationship with God, that they are destined for an eternity apart from Him, But that doesn't mean that people are just going to flock in here in agreement with that truth. There's a very pithy statement that applies greatly to this message. It's that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It has a lot of truth, a lot of merit in our presentation of the gospel to some of the 65,000 people in our community who are living life far from God. That community center, that ministry campus becomes an enormous serving platform by which we prove to people that we care, thereby opening the door for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be presented to them. We serve our way into the lives of people. We put a serving towel over our arm and we meet needs, needs that open doors for the gospel to be presented eventually on their terms, in their time, not on ours. Light It Up is all about service. It's also all about generosity. Light It Up is all about generosity to the community in which we're located. Journey Church isn't in Bozeman just so we can hold nice services on the weekend. Journey Church exists in the community of Bozeman to serve this community. That's why we're here And you consider the reckless generosity that God demonstrated to every single one of us when he gave us the gift of his one and only son. His one and only son, think about that, as the sacrificial offering for the sin of all of humanity, mine and yours and everyone else walking the planet. An incredibly reckless gift. And that community center and that ministry campus becomes a most generous gift to the community as we seek to be generous to people in the very same way that God has been so incredibly generous to us. We've been blessed to be a blessing, not to hoard, not to pile up, not to accrue. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given stuff to give away. Light it up is, see, at the end of the day, about us as a community leveraging the very best of our resources which God has entrusted to our care and to our management to help people, to help men and women, to help sons and daughters, to help fathers and mothers, young and old, connect with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who offers every person on planet Earth abundant life and eternal life starting right here and right now. Helping people connect with holistic healing to the hurt the incredible hurt that so many are carrying. 
Helping people connect with God's solutions to the addictions that so many are battling. Helping them be free from the unforgiveness that so many are harboring. Helping them connect with God's plan for great and healthy marriages and great and healthy families the way God intends. Helping people connect to tangible solutions to their absolutely greatest challenges, real solutions to real problems. And the message of this parable in Luke chapter 16 to all of us is that every one of us has a part to play in projects like Light It Up. As we choose as a community to leverage the money that God has entrusted to our care and management for his, for the owner's purposes, not ours, for the owner's purposes, benefiting others, making friends. Every single one of us has a part to play as we demonstrate that our financial resources, they aren't just entrusted to us so we can count them and hoard them and pile them up and store them up, but rather they are to be planted for a harvest of generosity that serves others and meets their very real needs, that actually changes lives, which is the currency of heaven, see. Changed lives. Our collective stewardship our collective offering through this project that we call Light It Up, it is not an end. It is the means toward an end. The means by which our watching community sees tangible acts of caring from we who say God cares. We're putting our money where our mouth is on that deal as a community. I invite you to take your things and just set them aside if you would. And I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just speak to the Lord about what it is that you're thinking about. Just tell God what's on your heart and your mind, if you would. You can do that now. ask everyone to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed for the next few moments if you would what I want you to know is that your heart and your life and your eternal destiny matters way more to God than how well you steward the money that he's entrusted to your care your soul and your life and your heart matter the most to God. And maybe today you've come to understand how much Jesus loves you, how much Jesus gave for you, how he died on the cross as the payment for your sin, and how he wants more than anything to live in relationship with you, starting right here and right now and continuing for all of eternity, forever. And if that's you, if you came to that realization today, you can choose to step into a relationship with God by acknowledging how much Jesus loves you, by acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross to be your savior, to be the rescuer of your soul, and by choosing to put your faith and trust in him by the blood he shed on the cross for you. And if that's you, if you're choosing to do that today, I'd invite you just to express that to God. You can do that by praying this prayer, a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. 
God, I know I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. But today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. God, I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for that sin and I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend. God, I want you to change me. God, I need you to clean my life up, please. And God, starting today, I make you the boss of my life. And if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to step into a relationship with him, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing you ever do, nothing you ever say matters more than that. And it's such a big deal that around here we ask people to tell us when they made that decision. I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's looking around this room but me. But if you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me and say, yes, I stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Just make sure I catch your eye if you would, please. Yeah, way to go. And you too, way to go. God's changing you both and he's making you brand new. Life will never be the same for you, either one of you. Would you just make sure I catch your eye? I don't want to miss anybody. And you back there, way to go. Right now, God is changing you and he's making you brand new. This is the biggest day of your life. God, much more than any of the stuff that you've entrusted to our care, we're so incredibly grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The gift of your son who pays the penalty for our sin, who restores life, brings healing who invites us to a new quality of life right here and right now it isn't just about heaven it's about living with you and for you every moment of every day God and we just say thank you we are humbled and awed and moved by such a gift and God as we as a community called Journey Church think about our stuff and think about leveraging our very best for your uses, for your intended purposes. Help us think real clearly about that stuff, God. Help us to consider how we best benefit others and make friends, eternal friends, and providing eternal benefit with what you've entrusted to our care. God, we want to be wise stewards and wise managers. We want to please you with every part of our lives, our stuff included. Help us do that, please. Help us be faithful and courageous as we're contemplating a commitment to this project we call Light It Up. Help us take bold steps of faith, courageous steps, God. pray that you would continue to use this community called Journey Church to reach the community of the Gallatin Valley, God. That we would live perpetually with that 65,000 on our heart and on our mind. 
and that we would do everything in our power to reach them for you. Because your heart, God, is that none should perish. And because that's your heart, it's ours. It's our heart, God, that none would perish. We're yours and we love you and our lives are fully ordered around your priorities, God. Help us walk that out. All of this is for you and because of you. In Jesus' name we pray.